0: That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Now back to the good part.
1: Welcome back to the boundary corner podcast along with my partner brian Siegla, i am curtis wilson this episode is brought to you by dr lord dermy counts at main street pharmacy in blacksburg if you love this podcast if you love the Hokies if you love the town of blacksburg make sure you are supporting main street pharmacy whenever you make your way to town
0: and like we said last episode we got some stickers there down at the pharmacy Go see Jeremy. Tell him that Boundary Corner sent you. Get yourself a free Boundary Corner podcast sticker. So head on down to 301 South Bain Street in Blacksburg. Buddy, you made it here under the wire. <laughs> Sliding in. Whew. Youth baseball on a Tuesday
1: night, 721st pitch. Ooh, Barely made it in. Barely made it in. But I'm here. You snuck her in. It. We're live. We, we, we only
0: went. Uh, we only went about 15 minutes later than we we were hoping for, which considering the late start and all that, not bad. Not bad. Not, not bad at all. And you know, we thought about maybe
1: moving it to Wednesday, but then that would give me three extra late nights. <laughs> and I was like, no, screw that. I'm like, it's, Tuesday's gonna be late regardless. Let's just go. Let's talk about everything college football. Let's talk about Georgia Tech this week. Let's talk about the CFP in a little while here. Let's talk about the new Big 12 deal. But, Brian, let's, let's kick it off and let's go back. More heartbreak for the Hokies. Let's recap NC State. Hokies fall 22-21 on Thursday night. And it's one of those stories where it wasn't like Miami. It wasn't us clawing our way back. 18 point lead in the later part of the third and we blow it man just brutal i went to bed at like 1 because it took a while to come down just, oh yeah. yeah oh yeah
0: um i uh i think it was it was uh while they were reviewing the uh the grant wells touchdown that gave us that lead i ran upstairs to to give my wife something i was like i'm not trying to jinx this shit but we're up 18 I didn't think we'd be here. I don't, I don't know what to do. From, I, essentially, from the, from, I was like, I don't know what to do with my hands. I don't know what to do with my hands. Yay! And, and then, you know, I come up later. Uh, you know, it's it's after midnight. She's like, how did to, it how to finish? I was like, it's after midnight. What the fuck do you think happened? What do you think
1: happened? It's midnight. Uh, well, man, I, I had a few guys in the neighborhood over, and um, two of my neighbors, shout out Ben, shout out Mason. They're, they're tech alums. And – the other two guys aren't, and when we went up 18, one of the non-hokies said, y'all got this in the bag, 18, and Ben looked at him, shot a look like, you haven't watched us play this year, have First you? Time, huh? <laughs> First
0: time, huh? <laughs> and thus began the roll down. And, well, let's and not just this year, man, I mean, we've seen this movie play out. For, a, for a while for the Hokies, so I mean, as soon as uh, as soon as that first touchdown happened, and, and, and with the ease that it happened, I was like, "Oh, okay, uh, We're real uh, for a long fourth quarter, we are, like, and we were. Win or lose, is it's going to be way more interesting than it should be, a lot more, more
1: interesting." And, and and let's let's talk about this. Let's talk about the defense because I want to give the defense, I want to give them their kudos first. <laughs> Oh, Coach Compton, Coach Compton. (laughs) All right, Robbie. So let's talk about the defense. So for the better part of three quarters, they absolutely got the job done. They held NC State to three points. Aggressive play calling against NC State. They were attacking, it seemed like, all night. We didn't – fewer missed tackles in the first three quarters than we'd seen. Probably the last few weeks at least. Yeah, yeah, for the last few weeks, weeks, definitely. And, And it seemed like they were just
0: loose. Yeah, right. Playing loose, they weren't looking at the scoreboard. They were just kind of attacking and following the game plan and playing playing like they belonged. Yeah, playing like they belonged.
1: And I, and and we know Devin O'Leary wasn't there. We know we know it was Chambers in the first, and then the Rook or, or Morris, the freshman who you know who was a four star. It's not like he was the you know the
0: a two-star – he was a four-star out of Georgia. He wasn't just holding down that third spot. He was, yeah. he was a solid player that probably just maybe wasn't ready for prime time yet. But, you know. And they pushed so him. He showed up anyway.
1: He did show up anyway. And, but, again, the defense, those first three quarters, even with Mason in there, it, they couldn't get anything established. And it, it felt good. But, Brian, you made that point as it got to the end of the third and then the – and then the fourth, it just kind of fell off 19. Roughly, they had 19 points in eight minutes. 19 points in eight minutes. And I know you got to see some of the tape. What do you felt like was the swing? Why did we quit attacking?
0: I feel like it's a combination of things. Uh, you got to lead. You, you end up being a little more conservative, trying to conserve You know the, the depth that we have. Because we, have, we still have depth problems on defense. And in this game, we especially had depth problems at corner. Um, you know, we only had really four cornerbacks available that are on scholarship. So that kind of put us behind the eight ball, uh, with how we were deploying, uh, our cornerbacks. And as they started taking some more shots, you know, that became problematic. It was like, you kind of, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, if you, if you blitz and you don't get there, you got tired cornerbacks on islands if you play more conservative, you let them kind of take chunks down the field a little bit at a time. Um, and we kind of got in a situation where we, we, the snowball started and we couldn't stop it.
1: Yeah. And, and it, it sort of stinks because I think the reason probably we went to zone, you mentioned it. We heard coach pride mention it today in the pressure was the depth. Armani Chapman, and Masson Delaney played every snap, and we were over seventy six. Brian made Brian made the point uh, Friday when we were chatting. He's like, uh, "Do you see the difference in the plays?" I'm like, and I looked at the wrong stats. I'm like, they're pretty close, Brian. He's like, look again, look again. They ran seventy six, we ran fifty four, and man, and, and Mansour Delaney and Armani were out there every snap, which. When you're when you're down to four, we saw DJ Harvey play a lot at nickel. We did not see much Breon Murray, so really it was only three guys getting the majority of those snaps.
0: Yeah, Cam and Cam and, uh, and Cam's out. Cam, Cam, Cam Johnson, Cam, Alvis, Both of them were late scraps. Also, yeah, that, strong. Yeah, strong was obviously already out. For, so you had three, three guys that could have helped you a little bit depth wise that weren't able gone. to go um, going into that game. It was tough. absolutely gone. And then it was. Coach said
1: it today in the press, I don't know if anybody listened, about learning how to win games. And he says it's something we have to do as a team. And you know what? Before this season started, we were roughly, I think it was one game under 500 with the class of 18. That's that's basically a coin flip whether you win or not. And, Brian, how did you say it on Friday about that big play down the field?
0: I basically say this, like once they got that one big play down the field uh, and then they got in the end zone, it was like the, we, we remembered that we weren't as good as we had been playing for three quarters.
1: And that's that mentality that we keep hearing about, learning how to win, learning how to finish. Dude, you played collegiate ball. You played collegiate ball. And your teams were good. Your own teams that competed in the ODAC, you know, Trying to win that conference, it is something. Some people say it's fictitious. I don't believe that. I believe every single sport you ever play, you have to learn how to win. And we just, that is something we don't have right now. And it showed maybe, maybe the, maybe the silver lining is the last three weeks, it showed a little bit more and a little bit more that we were getting closer. Yeah. It went from losing to, by two scores at Pitt, to one score at Miami, to one point at NC State.
0: Yeah, and and it's when you talk about winning, it, it's it's the little things. Um, when you look at the plays that kind of build towards your your win, there there are points in the game where you kind of point to and say, okay, well you, you make you make a little play here, you make a little play there, it's a different outcome. But you see winning teams that they play with a different type of confidence and a different type of swagger than teams like the Hokies right now, where uh-huh. when one bad thing happens, you start to see that snowball effect. You start to see doubt creeping in. You, you start to press a little bit and, and make mistakes that you wouldn't normally make. And, and that's what we're seeing a lot from this team, is that they kind of get a little bit over their skis, and all of a sudden – Snowball comes another. Yep, It's a snowball effect. That's the thing.
1: You talk about getting over their skis. They lose the technique. They start playing outside themselves, not within themselves, not within the scheme. And that's learned. And, you know, we see mistakes and stuff this year. And I'm not calling for anybody's job this year because I've seen enough from each member of the coaching staff that when they get the right players, when that mentality, well, we talked about it last week. I talked about it with the Moore brothers who had the least amount of time under the old coaching staff, and they have looked like two of the best offensive linemen we have. And that takes time. Um, And obviously probably what hurts the most is we punt with six minutes left and we never get the ball back.
0: Yeah. One stop. That that was was the big thing for the defense. We just needed one stop. We got them to third down twice, couldn't get off the field. Couldn't finish it. Couldn't finish it. Couldn't finish it.
1: Now – Let's talk about the offense because Jesus Christ! Let's talk Jekyll Hyde with this offense. That first half, they knew everything we were doing. They took away the run game. They took away the short passes. Yep. They dared us to beat them
0: downfield, and from what I can remember, and what you see, we, we really didn't try that in the first half. We didn't. We didn't try it enough, or with with enough uh, variation. Uh, when we took the shots, it was kind of a little bit more calculated. Uh, we weren't doing it off of off of first down um, mm-hmm. where maybe the defense wasn't expecting it as much. We were doing it in very telegraphed ways, you know, definitely third down. Um, you know, we, we were t- trying to take some shots here and there when we had third down and long situations, but we weren't trying to catch them off guard mm-hmm. or, or get that first, first down big play that can kind of set your offense in motion. True. Um, we were very predictable um, and and it showed the way they reacted. I mean, I know that's a good defense, but we should have, the first half should not have been as bad as it was if we would have done some things differently that took them off edge a little bit. Absolutely. That's
1: the truth. But, but then Brian, you know, we talk about that and then we see, and this is, this is these little things we see. We see an absolute, 180 in the adjustment, and when we come out in that third quarter, we get the ball, six plays, 78 yards,
0: under two minutes, and score a touchdown. I mean, it was – That opening third quarter drive, I said it was the best opening drive we've had of the season. It's probably the best offensive drive we've had all year. Very true. In terms of execution, in terms of keeping the defense off balance. It was the best drive on offense we've had all year. Yeah,
1: and if you take a look at it, it was Wells running the ball, and then he hits Daquan, and then Daquan again, then Malachi with a good six-yard run. And then the next thing you know, it's a penalty. We get downfield, and then we're inside the goal line. Grant runs it in. And it was like – it was – nothing was huge. It was – what, 15, 15, 7, 8, penalty gets you 15 more, and then you're in. Yep. It wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't like the next drive that we got.
0: I mean, it's if we, we got those, like, intermediate chunk plays that we haven't been consistent all- enough in this offense, w- we need a lot more of those type of routes, those type of, schemes to in the passing game. And we need that more consistently because that seems to be our bread and butter, whether it's Daquan, whether it's working Caleb Smith in there as well. Um, we, we need more of that. Uh, we, we've been relying too much on kind of the short game and hoping that we can, you know, break a tackle or matriculate the ball down the field six to eight yards at a time. I mean, eventually we need to start getting those 15 to 20-yard chunk plays consistently. I'm not saying we got to do what we did on the next drive um, all the time, but let, let's let start moving the ball downfield a little bit with a little bit more confidence in that intermediate game.
1: Absolutely. And then the next drive, I mean, home run. The Those intermediate routes opened up. That safety didn't shade to Caleb's side, and it was a perfect – I mean, that was a beautiful – Beautiful deep pass because Grant dropped it in the bucket. Caleb didn't break stride. 80-yard touchdown. One play. One play.
0: One play. 11 seconds. Yeah, that's I what mean, you, and and that's that's how you you take the momentum from the other team right there. I mean, absolutely. you get the one score, obviously that changes the game. You get that second one. Now now you got to tee you on the on their uh back of their heels a little bit. Um, and, and you get it in one play there. So, uh, that, that really kind of was the first huge play, um, that we've had since really Boston college in terms of like really big chunk play going for a touchdown. Yep,
1: absolutely. And then now the next drive was a punt, but Brian, me and you talked about today, how, it's okay to punt sometimes, but how much positive yards did you get? Well, we got 23 positive yards. So, you know, they had a punt to us. We got the ball roughly at, let me do the math here. Roughly at like the 25 yard line. We went 23 yards right at midfield. We punted. They got the ball at their 20. Then they had a punt back. And then it was that laugh really, again, it was another solid drive. Five plays, 65 yards. Again, Grant running, Um, don't worry. We're going to talk about some of the bad stuff, folks. It's, we, we get, we're going to lay into us too, but it was like three minutes, bam, bam, bam. Grant Wells, 20 yard run touchdown. And it's, and that's where you're pulling your hair out because in less than eight minutes, we scored 21 points. Yeah. In eight minutes, we scored 21 points. That's of the game clock, actual clock, like six minutes, if, if, if. Brian, if we can score six, 21 points in six minutes every game at least once.
0: Yep. Well can I tell you one thing here though? Is yeah is that this this tells you the importance of getting a first a first down on your uh to start a drive because we went tempo on most of these drives in the third quarter, and we were able to go tempo because we were able to get a first down pretty quickly in the, in the drive. And By the second up, play. Yeah. And, By the and, second and, play in those two drives. And and get up on the ball and keep them on their heels. Um, it was less, less check with me um, as we were going through there. So they, they were running quickly. They were sticking with the, with the original call. And they played with as much confidence as I've seen them play all year on offense.
1: Yeah, and and we saw some more different things on, you know, Thursday night. I mean, I think one of the big ones was just seeing Grant use his athleticism. You know, he has some. He can run the ball a little bit. And there were a couple times where he handed off, if he had pulled, he would have had a lot of daylight, a lot of daylight, because a couple times those ends and those outside backers just crashed. If he pulls, it's a lane. And there's yep. no one on that side of the field, so I think that's got to be continued to put in. What else did you see um, for little new wrinkles?
0: Yeah, I mean that more unbalanced lines. Uh, we saw that that might be something that we could catch them in uh, when we were talking in the preview episode there, and they went that way. So it's good to see that they, you know, watched the Syracuse tape like I did. <laughs> um. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Grant was more involved in the running game, so that was that was good as well. Um, he's been more involved week to week lately. Um, various d- degrees of effectiveness. Obviously, when they've got the loaded box, a um, mm-hmm. lot less room for him to operate. We saw that kind of in the first half. Mm-hmm. But as we were more effective with other aspects of the offense, some of those rushing lanes opened up for him in the second half there. And obviously we've already talked about it, the second half shots down field, We need more of that, more consistently. Um, you know, Grant throws a good deep ball, especially when he's got time. Um, he's connected on a, on quite a few here. Um, you know, he's, he sells a couple here or there, but when he's got time, when he's able to throw one-on-one, it, it's, it's he's, he throws a pretty good one. So we need more of that.
1: I mean, do you is that something you want to see early, though? Is that something that you feel? If we take a shot early and hit one, the safeties won't creep up, linebackers won't be sticking their nose in the gaps. It's like we get burned deep a couple times. You know, you've got to change your philosophy up, and it did kind of change their philosophy up. But we couldn't get anything done the rest of the game. We were we were struggling because essentially we played our we played our hand, we played our trump cards. And they knew what we were going to do so they were able to adjust so somebody could say did you
0: do it on could you did you did we do it too early i don't, I don't I think would, that's. i wouldn't thing. say we did it too early i would say we need to be able to be good on first and second down even when we're not calling shots downfield because our problem right now has been we're very ineffective rushing on first down so that puts us in a bad second down call that doesn't always work. And now we're in third and medium, third and long situations where, you know, we, we've struggled off and on. And we struggled on third down mightily in this game. Oh, my God, did we? Not even a joke. How, how, how bad? 9%.
1: Yeah. Uh, we converted 9%. We converted one third down compared to them almost converting – 45% that yeah. magic 40 number. Brian like continues to, he
0: floated out there. If we keep them 40 or under, we're going to win games. We're going to win games. Um, and, it, and, it's, and that's, and that's as simple as getting off the field mm-hmm. one or two more times on third down. And we came close two or three times in that game to get off the field. But and, and if close you do doesn't it, matter. Close doesn't matter. You got to get it done.
1: Close doesn't matter at all. And, you um, you know, didn't rush the ball good again, you know, just 1.9 per carry, you know, after adjustments off 26 rushes. And and what a lot of blew up in the subsequent evening, we should just say late night hours, and the next day was what's on the coaches, what's on the players. And, you know, let's talk about some of that. We're going to talk about first the game management on the coaches. And the first big one, and again, I'm going to shout him out, Mason. He sits over there on the two-point conversion and says, why the heck are we calling a timeout? They're going to go for two here to get it down to three points. Why do we have a call a timeout? Um, that obviously using that herd in the six-minute drill. We had one timeout to burn at that point in time. If you have to, maybe you do get to stop. Or maybe they get in field goal range and they have to kick a field goal with a minute left and you still have time to operate. Now – Pride did mention today that the had the wrong personnel on the field, and at that point in time, those two points were too important. At that point in time, and, and I like he said at that point in time because at that point in time, it was if, if they don't get the two points like they didn't, it was still a two possession game, or essentially, it was they could not tie with a field goal, they yeah. had to score a touchdown. But on the other hand, this is something where it's like that learning experience for a first time head coach. Dude, you've got your players out there. This is becoming a tight game. Timeouts are important, right?
0: Yep. Yeah. And, and that's after you probably, you you burned one that you needed to earlier, Mm -hmm. but then that meant that you couldn't afford to burn another one ahead of the final drive as things got tighter. Um, Timeouts are at a premium. Uh, it's one of those things i know like you know hindsight's twenty 2020 It's like oh yeah we should have conserved that one yeah and i think i think we should have um sometimes you i think that's where being a coordinator versus being a head coach kind of comes into play i think that that's a timeout that a coordinator wanted to take that a head coach might kind of say, nah, we, we're just gonna let this one roll.
1: We're gonna we're still going to have the lead regardless what they do. Yeah. We're going to have the lead. If I have this in my back pocket, if we're driving the field and it is a one point game and we need a field goal, we have two times where we can really attack the middle of the field and just exactly. burn the timeout and get set up for the next play. And then um, that gives
0: you a chance to potentially get off the field late in the game and have a chance to work into field goal range. You know whether the you know it's a you know one or two point game at that point it doesn't really exactly. matter. Exactly.
1: Now let me ask this, and you said this was big on your game management piece. Is you said Brent Pry trusted his defense to win the battles when we had the lead instead of staying aggressive? Is that going back to him being a coordinator again? versus being a head coach, where if he's the head coach and Chris Moore is the D.C. and Chris lays back that one play, he's taking his hat off and saying, attack, attack. I don't care about this sitting, attack. I don't care if you have to put guys who are inexperienced in, attack. And we know at the end of this season he will no longer be the defensive coordinator and calling the plays. But, again, is that the coordinator hat finding its way?
0: i think it's some of that i think it's you know we talked about it earlier with wanting to keep guys fresh i think they he was attempting to kind of stem the the tide as it were um with you know we're probably our thinnest uh at the defensive line and in the in the secondary especially at corner in this game and you know, you you take your foot off the gas a little bit there, trying to kind of keep your guys fresh. But now you've given them confidence, and I think all they needed was like a little spark of confidence, and and that kind of woke them up a little bit. And it also reminded our guys, hey, you're, you're the team rolling in here with the losing record, while we're you know still ranked in the top twenty five. And it kind of showed from there on out, even when Pry got more aggressive as we kind of you know went down the stretch there um I just think so you know th- that little moment almost was like a switch for both teams um yep. and, you know anybody that says momentum isn't the thing doesn't watch college football
1: don't watch like sports <laughs> Doesn't watch well what well, I don't have it on back here but I just look Houston had all the um, momentum after the weekend right yep. that game got canceled last night because it rained in Philly all night Philly came out today, and they're blowing the doors off of it 7-0 so far. I wish I had it mm-hmm. on back here so I could halfway watch the game.
0: And Philly oh. li- was able to line up their their pitching they got the better pitching. long-term for the rest of the, the series, too. Momentum.
1: All right, let's talk about, quickly, the offensive side of the ball. All right, how tough is it? You mentioned to me it's like he was too late adjusting to the ball. How tough is it for, obviously, this is the first-time coordinator to make that adjustment in the box, down to the field? Is it too big of an adjustment, or is it something where a more seasoned guy would just say, we've got to change it, I don't care? I would rather die by taking the risk that I know if we make this change, we maybe can make a touchdown or we can move the ball?
0: I still feel like we're not – because we're not doing some of the the, the things that – he wants us to do well. We're we're not opening up the playbook enough, or, or throwing in enough um, new elements to the offense week to week. And when you have a loaded box like that, and you're trying to your bread butter is trying to be all right. We're we're going to run it. We're going to have play action. And I know if you want to have play action that that you want that to be your bread and butter in the passing game. It's hard for that to actually have as much juice if you don't have some sort of semblance of a running game but at some point you got to recognize what the strengths and weaknesses of the offense are and start playing towards those and i think we're we're too late doing that in a lot of games and that, that that's what we, we saw at this game and and by the time you know we played our our pivot card they adjusted. They were able to fight their way back. Our defense had got gassed and they, they scraped one out there. Um, And he never, he's never really gotten the offense settled after the Thomas injury in this game. Because it, that felt like another switch for the offense. We were kind of cooking a little bit. Uh, and then when Thomas went down, it, we kind of never, we, we, we did look like a different team out there. And I know Thomas wasn't exactly tearing it up. Rushing no. the ball, but he, he had a he had a couple good grabs in the running game, especially that one down a the sideline. Amazing grab out. down the side. That was an yeah. amazing catch. So I, he's, he gives the offense a little bit of a spark that, especially in this game when you didn't have Keyshawn King and you had, yeah. you had Holston coming on in the game after that, you could really see how that impacted the offense. It, it just looked like they kind of became a shell of what they showed in the third quarter. Well, it's that whole
1: piece of we aren't as good as what we are, what we've been playing. We that, that eight minutes. And then Malachi gets hurt and it's the snap back to reality moment of we're not as good as what we've just did. Those those big plays, those solid runs, those drives, we're not that. And to me that to me that is somewhat on coaching. I know it's some player mentality, but it's also coaches continue to chirp in your ear. Now <clears throat>
0: Well, it's it's Bowen's responsibility to get some plays in there that keep your guys confident. That's true. That's on him. Now, Brian, you got into a pretty
1: much well, no, Brian just made a defiant statement that now <laughs> false starts because there are some things that were on the players Saturday or excuse me Thursday. Twelve no no ten false start penalties, six on the line, two on skill positions, two on special teams. Brian, someone came out and said this is all bad coaching, and Brian Siegler went, "You went, Lee Corso."
0: Yeah, not not so fast. I, I <laughs> not mean, fall, so, <laughs> so I'll, I'll I'll preface about this: there are things that can be done that will encourage an offensive line to try to be more cognizant about false starts, but. A, a a offensive lineman is not jumping off sides because of something a coach does or does not do. Point blank. I I played the position. I know this.
1: <laughs> and the reason and, 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 and so
0: the things the things that, that you can do as a coach is that obviously one of the things they are doing, which is extra conditioning punishment, things like that. Um, as a response to the um, offsides oh, that occur in a game. Wait a second! Another offensive line <laughs> that Dwight Dick speaks up. Is <laughs> <the offensive line. laughs> so, so the thing, the things you can do is, you know, obviously what one of the things they are doing, which is extra conditioning for for yards that you commit in penalties in a game. True. Um, the other thing that you can do is you can lose your spot. The problem with losing your spot. Is that we don't have the depth to lose to have someone lose their spot right now? No, we're, we're not. not. we when you when someone loses their spot on this offensive line, and even at other positions in this offense, you're talking about replacing them with a true freshman, which could result in a burnt red shirt or a walk on. <laughs> I mean, you getting all you getting all sorts of good
1: stuff. We got two right here: one from Robbie, one from Dwight again. <laughs> Robbie basically pre snap penalties. Oh, Robbie! Every third out one up there. Every Hokie fans know that this, and it's not all coaching. Robbie obviously is a coach. Throw that other one by the white up. <laughs> 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 and we've heard this since day one about the depth. So. We've heard
0: it since day one. And I, 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 and I get, I get what they're saying. If if we had a team like you would want to have, and a yeah. guy jumps off sides twice well, in a game. Yank him at least for the end of the quarter and put in the other guy and see what you got. And if that guy's rolling, you keep him in maybe for the rest of the game. <laughs> and that and, uh, and that shows that you're serious. But we don't have the luxury of that type of response from a coaching staff right now. No, so these linemen need to take accountability for jumping off sides. And I'll say this. It wasn't just the linemen. Uh, Daquan jumped off. We had a wide receiver jump off. off. A, yeah, Caleb jumped off. We had three three or four that weren't on the offensive line. So this is not just an offensive line problem. This this is a concentration problem. This is thinking too much problem. This is worrying about beating your guy instead of focusing on what's happening in the game problem. Very very
1: true. It's also funny. Put Robbie's quote up here again cuz you 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 said this. And it's really funny because Pride continued to say all sides with false starts. Sounds like is he talking that backwards but I think that's just something common, but you mentioned during when we were talking Friday. A lot I put it times, in. The, I put it in the tweet too. Yes, you did. A lot of times. Why would I get false starts Because the freaking D tackle in
0: front of me was feeding my ass. I'm getting my ass kicked, and I'm trying to get a step on his ass this play. <laughs> whether whether it's I'm I'm trying to kick back early, or whether I'm trying to. Get get a a zone step or a reach step or I'm trying to down block him at the right. I, I'm trying to get a step on my man because he's handling handing me my ass right now.
1: Yep. All right. a Couple other things, Brian. We let's let's mention about on the players. Chance Black muffing those kickoffs. Holy. Shit. First of all, anytime a kickoff is muffed, any kind of kick is muffed. It's just like, as a fan, it's like, oh shit, not good. Not
0: good at all. It's it's bad because it, it automatically takes away some of the potential that you, the, the plays in your playbook that you want to call as an offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. Because now you're starting inside the ten. Those play calls are gonna be a lot more conservative most times, especially for a team like this that hasn't had a ton of success with just lining up and 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 doing what they do to a defense, regardless of, of what kind of looks they're getting. We don't, we don't have that kind of offense right now. So now you either take the risk of taking shots from inside the 10. And if you don't hit it, now you're punting to them, you know, in that 40 to 50 yard range, or you're risking a safety in a tight game and things like that, or you get more conservative till you get that first, you know, first, first down or two. And we just we never got that. Now we got handed a gift that we ended up giving back on the next couple plays. True, True. Uh, on that penalty. True, on the late hit on Wells out of bounds. wasn't a late hit necessarily, but the unnecessary roughness, of throwing him around after after he got it, rode him out of bounds.
1: Peyton Wilson had it. if he just lets him go and rides, it's nothing. But when he jerked, they weren't going. He, did, right. he
0: didn't initiate that action before he went out of bounds yeah, so it was the steps were out and i think the last
1: thing Ryan, coach Prize said it you've said it it's all the pressing and it's the pressing is when you don't you when you start pressing the technique's gone you don't play within the structure and bad things happen and and i, I again i go back to what i think about with this class being under 500 going into this year i i don't think a lot of these guys who have been playing here for the last four years, guys, you know, you come to love, you love to see them play. You want to see them do well. I think that is what it is. And I think it's literally going to take a lot of new blood to flush that out of the system.
0: Um, well, I've, and, say, I've said it a lot and I, I know I'm kind of reiterating some of the, some of the matter. stuff I've already say said it. elsewhere, but you know, we've got a lot of veterans that have played that have been role players on this team that we are asking them this year because of our depth concerns to be the man at certain positions. And some of that may be beyond their skill set. And we're talking about spreading that out, not just at one position, not just at two positions, but probably over about five or six positions. We're asking guys that are more veteran role players to be veteran leaders and veteran standout players on this team. And sure. that works for a quarter or two, but we're seeing it doesn't always work for four quarters. That's it. That's it. And that's what we're seeing a lot of. So we're we when you see these young guys going out there and competing, that's a good sign because it shows that – You know, we could have that potential down the road, but we've got a we've got a lot of backfilling to do. We do, and it's going to take you know we talked about it last week. It's going to take the portal and cycles and the the cycles to backfill kind of the situation that you know we've kind of been dealt with with the last you know two to three years of recruiting and way the roster has been managed in those periods,
1: which was not good. But you kind of started it right there. But I think we, as fans, you know, everybody's pissed for two and six. We're, I think, because we're a little. I mean, I'm older. pissed. We're two and six. Well, I'm pissed. We're two, two pissed. and six. But I think us being a little older, we we start reading between the lines because the record is what it is. We're two and six. That's who we are. But if you start looking at this team and the record, we have only been truly drilled once, and that was Carolina. They were twenty-four ten at half. They won forty-one ten. We were that. We were drilled. The game was over early third quarter. It it wasn't. It wasn't close for a long time. Yeah, it wasn't close for a long time. But you kind of sit back and say, Brian, you know, a lot of these other games, it's right there. And at the end, it falls apart. And there are quarters where me and you both say, if that team right there, third quarter this week, if that team right there showed up 75% of the time, we would be winning seventy-five or eighty percent of our games, like those quarter stretches. Now, the defense—we've seen it multiple quarters. We saw it against Miami. We saw it against State. We saw it the yeah. first three quarters yeah. against West Virginia.
0: The defense has consistently put two and three quarters together in a game. Not they haven't four. necessarily played four yet. BC uh, four three quarters. Yeah, yeah I'll, give I'll give them BC. I'll give them BC. But we know
1: how bad BC is. So yeah. But with the offense, it's like one-off quarters. And when I say one-off quarters, I mean this week, that third quarter, eight minutes, 21 points. Eight minutes of the game, six minutes of possession, 21 points. I I ain't trying to say we're Alabama, but that's Alabama shit. That's Tennessee shit. That's Ohio State shit where it's like bam, 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 21 points, six minutes. And that's how they bury you. But you look at that game, the Miami fourth quarter, the early first quarter into the second at Pitt where it's just like – 14 points, 17 points in, in short stretches. So I sit here, and it's like a silver lining, and I say, people are already saying Tyler Bowling should be fired. No. First of all, I don't think anybody's getting fired year one. If, if, if that's your go-to, like, we should fire people. um, Go look at Tennessee. Go look at a lot of these programs that took years, that to, took 15 years to rebuild where they are. They kept firing people over and over. But I look at it and you see those silver linings and it's consistency, right, Brian? Like, we've seen flashes and it's like,
0: shit. And I think that goes back to what I was just saying earlier is like, you know, we're seeing these flashes and and we're hoping that we can put some of that more together. When we say we're not seeing progress, I think we're not seeing progress because we're still losing losing games, but th- there are things here or there that give you, you know, hope. a little hope of what's to come. Now, what I want to see a lot more of is, you know, when we talked th- back in March, early March, we did the, the, preview, the preview episode with Robbie. Robbie came on, he broke down what we can expect from prior on the defense. I looked at the offense. I looked at a lot of Fordham tape, looked at some of the Penn State stuff, um, things like that. And looking at, at looking at Fordham, um, you know, we, we, we saw some different things from that offense that we we haven't seen yet in this. one. And I don't know if that is we're not doing this well. So we haven't kind of taken the next step and put this part of the offense in there yet. I don't know whether it's that some some of the, the, the team isn't comfortable with running those plays yet, hasn't shown it well enough in practice where they're comfortable with the calls in the game. Whatever the reason is, I want to see a little bit more from this offense in terms of when that bread and butter isn't working early, having something to pivot to, having having some things that give the defense fits that aren't just "we're gonna do what we do" um, and 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 beat you that way. Because one of one of my complaints against Corn 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 had a bad system and was also a bad play call.
1: Yeah, I still think the system was decent. I think he was just the a system is play
0: but but I'm saying in terms of how he operated the system with if it's a pass play, you got to throw it here or then you got to run it or eat it. Yeah. I don't I I don't I don't like that shit. So that's still mm. on him and that's not just a calling the game thing. That's a this is how I want to run my scheme thing. Yeah, um, I got you. I got you. The, got you the scheme that. itself, in terms of the plays, were not bad. It was how he wanted the quarterback to execute said calls. That was awful. Combined that with having zero zero flow in the game,
1: and that, that's something I, I think we we don't see from Tyler Bone. He lets Wells operate. Because... He lets
0: Wells operate. Now the the problem is is that we haven't gotten deep enough into the playbook where you know what we what we've shown on film is almost kind of what we see. Every game in the game. And I, I need to see more variety and, and, and some more wrinkles from this offense. And we're seeing them here or there, but I don't think we're seeing enough where it's giving us an advantage against the defense. Week yep. to week. And, and, and,
1: and I'm, and I'm going to be just very honest with you on that. You go four games, you're two and six, nothing can get worse. If you're trying to figure out how it if, if Wells is going to be your primary starter next year, he's going to battle for a job. It's almost like rip the bandaid off and just give him everything and see how the offense works. Because by all means, if you lose four in a row, you lose four in a row. You're two and six. To me, there is nothing to lose. And at least with this, you get a full scope, a full scope of Grant Wells operating everything in the playbook, not just inside the box. Yeah. All right. Let's flip it over, Brian. Other college football notes. Obviously, tonight I had to have – you texted. I had a couple buddies. Malik Mike, text me like, what do y'all think of the the playoff? I'm like, I haven't seen it yet. This is literally (laughs) me the first time seeing it right now. And I'm actually proud of the committee, putting Tennessee at one, Ohio State at two, Georgia three, Clemson four, and Michigan five. Tennessee has beat multiple – multiple ranked football teams.
0: Yep.
1: Multiple. And Ohio State has beat multiple ranked. Notre Dame doesn't look as good, but the Penn State victory last week, obviously really good. I I think they got it right. I really do. Um, And obviously, if you take a look at that, we've got two play-in games on the way in the next month. Ones this weekend, we're going to talk about that one later, trust us. What about you? Did, do Do you think it's right? Do you like Clemson being at four, or would you have put Michigan there?
0: I'd have put Michigan there. I thought Michigan was going to be four. Um, I, I like it otherwise. I mean, I could make an argument for Georgia over Ohio State, but they're they're very neck and neck in my opinion. Tennessee has the best resume. I don't know if they're the best team, but they certainly have the best resume, Absolutely. which is why they are number one, and that, that's, a, that's a fair number one for them. Um, like I said, I could argue Georgia at two or, or Ohio State at two. I think Clemson is probably the only one they got wrong at this point. I, I would definitely put them kind of just outside looking in in the initial poll. Um, I think Michigan's kind of done more so far. Okay. And... You know, I think I'd, I'd put them behind Michigan, and obviously uh, B- Alabama's number six here. So I'd put them just ahead of Alabama. Oh, since are they now? an unblemished record? Are yeah. they now? Wait a second. So an undefeated
1: team is below one-loss Alabama. Alabama. Yep, yeah. TCU's below Alabama. Yep, that's always irritating to me. Um, so TCU has not been proven they can be beaten. Correct. Alabama has. Alabama yeah. has shown they can lose a game. TCU's not. If you flip-flop them, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. I think Oregon's too high. I don't think you get the doors blown off of you, even if it's early in the season. I don't think they should be that high. I think at least USC, Ole Miss should be above them. Um, probably no one else. I am not. I don't know how a two-loss LSU team, because LSU is still not impressed. They lost to a mediocre Florida State team at home pretty much. So. But – we'll discuss that more as we get down to it. There's
0: definitely some some SEC biases Always playing is. in there, but you know it is what it is. I mean, you look at that Florida State team. I mean, it's a it's a better than we expected Florida State team, but still nothing to write home about Florida State team.
1: <laughs> yeah. Now, if this was the 12th team, there would be games in Ann Arbor, Tuscaloosa, Fort Worth, and at the Autzen Zoo. Just you know, yeah. I'm always talking about that man. Just, crank woo-hoo. it up, crank talking it up. About, That's a good I mean, one. Could, that, could you imagine a team like UCLA having to go to Ann Arbor in early December?
0: Zero degrees. That would be amazing. That would be great. All right, um, other, or like uh, so, you know, so, some team on the on the East Coast having to go to the Otzen Zoo.
1: <laughs> the uh, well, that would be actually that would be USC. I don't ah. think they have it that way. They'd probably flip it, put like LSU there to go up to the zoo. That'd be nice. I mean, yeah. So it, it's interesting. All right. Other big news this week. Um, the big 12s new TV deal. The dominoes are slowly falling 2.28 billion over six years between Fox and ESPN. I'd, I'd love to see the numbers from each because obviously, um, obviously the math is roughly 30 million a year. I think, Big 12 saying closer to 50 with all the other payouts. Well, we're looking strictly at the TV money because the other payouts are variable. Yep. You may get some of it. You may not get some of it. So keep that off the table. But let's say it's split right down yeah, the so, middle. Some of,
0: it's a, some of it's a straight share. Some of it depends on where you land. land. Exactly. But if you if we just say it's a straight middle and it's
1: $1.14 billion, we know that 1.14 billion for ESPN. I'm focused more on ESPN than Fox because Fox has the big 10. They have the big 12, the PAC 12s deal still not done, yep. which is really, and this is a good size deal, but now, you know, 1.14 is roughly how much a year. God, I hate doing math this late. If I had a chance to do this earlier, if we're doing
0: split straight split, wouldn't it be fifteen?
1: What fifteen? Well, no. What I'm saying is how much money each year ESPN is going into it. Ah, gotcha. gotcha. It'd be something like 200, probably right under 200 million a year. Um, so close to 15 a year per payout. But what that tells you right there, though, is they still got money left. Yeah, I think they're going to bump the SEC up, but I think the ACC, even though they're locked into the fifteen-year deal, ESPN is going to probably pay a little bit more. I think the ACC's with with the ACC network going full live is close to thirty million now. I think that's what it is, like twenty-seven a half. I think the ACC will get a little bit more. They'll probably to me. I think the ACC is going to be probably closer to thirty-seven straight TV deal. And But this is what we talked about because the Big Ten's gone. ESPN does not have the Big Ten in a few years. And it was all that money, and you know they bid up to a point, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of about uh, $70 million a team. And now that money's coming back, so it's going to be interested to see how that plays out.
0: Yeah, yeah. What, what do they do with that extra money? Does, does a cut of that go to the ACC in a renegotiated – Uh, Deal, does all of that go to the SEC? I don't think it all can go to the SEC. I don't think it does either. I don't think it does either. I think they get a good,
1: well, because of where their contract is now, they roughly only need about, I feel like they only need maybe, let me do the math here, maybe like $250 million a year to be above the Big Ten. Okay. And so obviously, we know how big the Big Ten deal is. We know you look at this, it's it's probably another 200 million out there. How much goes back to the ACC? Do they negotiate anything with the Pac 12 now that you're down to 10 teams? It'll be interesting. All right. Last piece before we had to break here Brian Harson for real got fired today. Not, I, not a catfish. <laughs> not a catfish. Not me. Barrett Sally confirmed it. And I'm going to be honest. They haven't hired the AD. They look like getting like the Mississippi State AD, which God bless that guy because to take it with those freaking lunatics down on the plains, who wants to coach them? Like seriously, like who would, who in their right mind would actually want to try to coach there?
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, Brian Harson has done himself zero favors in this oh, position. Yeah. Let's go ahead yeah. and put that out there. Um, Zero zero favors. At the same time, with those with those donors out there, it's a clown show, man. They 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 they
1: they run everything. The thing is, it's constantly uh, we got to get rid of people. We need to do something different, and it's just like they had Gus for you know close to seven eight years, and Gus took them to a national championship. Gus had them in the running. Gus beat Alabama a few times. They're one of those programs to me. That they 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 get a little winning in them, they completely forget who they are, and then when they have a couple mediocre season, everybody wants to burn the place down because oh, it's all screwed up. You are who you are, and that's where the Mississippi State guy, God bless his soul.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I I think that they want so bad to be like tier one all the time, like some of some of their other in-state rivals. Um, and some of the other teams in their conference, and they need to recognize that they they're they're a team that because of the money that they have, they can punch up. But they're still going to be more or less a tier two type program consistently. Yeah, with but the ability to punch up. What what
1: they've done the last eleven years, though, I would take it to oh, national yeah. championship game appearances. Only really, really only two bad seasons. Um, and then the. I mean, rest you can competing. really take
0: it even further back than that. I mean, oh, if you go back, back the last to, twenty years, yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you go back to four. I mean, they they've Under, had
1: really good teams.
0: Yeah, really good team. I definitely take it. Heartbeat, just because just because you're not that elite of elite every year. I mean, y- again, you punched up a few times. You've, uh, you know, you've uh, you, you've won the big ones that you've had to win to put yourself in a position to play in some big games. Yep, yeah, absolutely. All right. So, Brian, before we get to know the enemy for NC
1: State, we are going to take a quick pause from our digital partners.
0: As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode.
1: All right, Brian, let's start with Georgia Tech, know the enemy offensive side of the ball. And let's start at the quarterback. The quarterback position. Which one? Okay, okay, there we go. <laughs> Unlike NC State, who had not really showed much of the freshman, Georgia Tech's shown everybody since Jeff Sims got banged. You got Sims, you got Zach Gibson, and Zach Pyram. Let Let's go this order. Give me – obviously, Sims is one, so we'll talk about him last. Who's the least likely guy we're going to see this week? And if he does have to play – Give me a quick
0: variation of what we're going to see in his offense. Uh, more than likely, the least likely is going to be Zach Gibson. Um, he started uh, la- the last game they played against FSU. Didn't make it very far into that game. Um, really, more of a more of an athlete. Decent short game accuracy with his arm. Effective in the running game. Um, only average arm strength, average ac- accuracy, not really effective in the pocket. Will panic when he's pressured consistently. So, not not exactly the guy you want to pull pull the trigger there in a game, especially against a team like the Hokies that you know we do have a pretty effective defense at least for three quarters. So, so, so for
1: if it's Zach Gibson, we're going to see the smallest playbook and the actual potentially smallest person able to run their offense.
0: Yeah, smallest playbook. Um, just because he doesn't have the arm to drive the ball down the field. Okay, okay. All right. Well, what about Pyron? What about Because Jeff Sims obviously if,
1: if he's healthy, Sims is gonna play and he's the best quarterback they have. But what are we yeah. seeing from Pyron? Uh
0: Pyron is a step up in athleticism. He's a more powerful runner, he's got a more effective uh more effective arm strength. Um does a better job in the intermediate passing game um than gibson um he does still lack the arm strength to take some deep shots consistently but he will uh, make some effective throws in the intermediate passing game so it does stretch the field a little bit there for them um but he is effective in that three-step uh drill and and he will scramble well keep his eyes downfield for check downs and things like that so um more effective and and again probably a more effective runner in the, the zone read because of his size and power all right. And then last, clearly, if
1: he's healthy, Jeff Sims, the 6'3, 205 pound quarterback out of Duval, Florida, composite four star, was a top 247 player, top 10 quarterback. So far this season, he's thrown nine, excuse me, he's thrown five touchdowns, only rushed for one, um, you know, a little over 300 yards there. And we, we, we all, if if you've been following hoagie football for the last five years, we know who Jeff Sims is at one point he was right there with us. And then he decided to go to Georgia tech. What do we see from him that makes him obviously if they, they want him to start.
0: Yeah. I mean, the big thing is his confidence. He's a quick decision maker delivers a good, accurate ball that allows his receiver to kind of turn up field, get some yards after the catch. Um, great athlete, extends plays with his legs, looks to make the play down the field. Um, yeah, as he's kind of escaping the pocket and getting to the perimeter, um, he is the type of quarterback you know that we I've been talking about that can elevate the play of those around him. He's that type of player, um, but he will take risks with the football in the passing game, so there is some opportunities for some you know potential fumbles or turnovers there. But I mean, he's definitely the one of the better um, quarterbacks we've seen this year in terms of his skill set, uh, and definitely the best quarterback on that roster.
1: Yeah. I mean, he obviously is the best. If he's if he if you if you see him playing, you're you're gonna get their best game offensively, which isn't the greatest, which we'll talk about later. But let's just be very honest with this team. This team is a run first team. They, you know, they they've ran the ball 30 more times than they've passed it because A, they've given up 30 sacks, or they're, they're giving up a sack about one every eight dropbacks. But they have actually a couple two really good running backs. And the first let's talk about here is um let's talk about Hassan Hall. Um, a transfer from Louisville, class of 2018, was a mid-three star there from the state of Georgia at Maynard Jackson in Atlanta. And, you know, so far this season, Brian, with Hassan, he's averaging, you know, just over five yards a carry, 315 total yards. Interesting piece here is no touchdowns. So that, that's something to keep an eye on. Um
0: And, you know, what are you seeing from him on the tape? Yeah, he's pretty effective uh, catching the ball out of the backfield. Um, Solid vision, and he's an angry runner, finishes his runs well. Uh, Good at identifying cutback lanes. That's where he kind of gets a lot of his extra yardage there. Um, But he's not really a home run threat in the offense. He's not heavily used around the goal line. They usually focus more on – some some other guys whether it's whether it be sims or um one of the other quarterback quarterbacks trying to get uh, when they get around the goal line there but yeah he's uh he's one of those guys that, that gets you a lot of yardage kind of between the 20s
1: all righty so now they have a second running back as well and let's talk about him next let's talk about dante smith um smith so far this year um again Also averaging over five yards a carry at 5.1. Three touchdowns, 258 total yards. A little bit of receiving, eight receptions in eight games. Um, And, you know, came was a mid-three star coming out of Spring Hill in Columbia, Tennessee, all-purpose back. Uh, Not a lot of D1 offers, uh, but,
0: you know, a little bit of speed there. What makes him a little bit different than Hall? Yeah, he's more of a perimeter threat than Hall, especially running the ball. Um, he's primarily used as kind of their third down or change of pace back. Um, better blocker overall. And they do use him in some of the heavier packages around the goal line um, in place of Hall to kind of punch it in for six.
1: All right. Um And, you know, just kind of looking in general with these guys, Hall is, I would say, the lead back of the two. He's out-carried Smith by, you know, over 30 carries in, you know, Georgia Tech's first eight games. So, roughly getting probably four to five more touches. Probably seeing the field eight to ten more snaps than um, Smith just based on that. But, obviously, Smith has the nose for the end zone where Hall doesn't. And, even though we've mentioned that this is a run team and you see Jeff Sims numbers, you know, he's got over 300 total rushing yards with a touchdown. They do have some receivers, you know, and as we started kind of looking at a little bit of everybody, I, I thought about going to Nate McCollum um, who is their leading rod receiver, but something with Malachi Carter just kind of caught my eye in a couple of his games, a couple of his games, he've only had a few catches, but put up, kind of bigger numbers. And I wanted to kind of get your feel on him, Brian. You know, was a three-star when he came out in 2018 out of Georgia. Um, What makes him a little different where I see a couple of those games where he kind of popped over 15 yards of carry?
0: Yeah, most of that's from the yards after the catch. He has good hands. He runs well after the catch. Uh, Mostly works from the outside, sometimes from the slot. Uh, Dangerous in the open field. Um, He's not really used much in the screen game, though. Um, He makes most of his hay um, in that kind of intermediate range. So Mm -hmm. when they are attacking a little bit more downfield, um, that's kind of where he makes his hay, and he does a pretty good job after the catch uh, with some of those balls. Yeah, so
1: I I wanted to focus on that also when, Brian, when you kind of threw your notes in there, and it kind of made me think tackles. Yep. He's been better this year, but he's the guy we do not want to see get the ball in space and start missing tackles. He will make us pay. Yep. So I, I I hope we can keep him under wraps for the game. But, again, also listen, Mate McCollum, EJ Jenkins, just a couple other wide receiver names there. All right, Brian, let's talk about it. Let's talk about the scheme on the offense, and let's talk about the offensive line.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd say probably, especially on pass pro, this is the the worst offensive line unit we've seen since BC. Um, We need to stay aggressive and keep pressure on them to keep them frustrated. They are good when they can kind of create predictable outcomes. Uh, They're not good when you get aggressive with them, when you you confuse them, they become a shell. Um, So if we can stay aggressive the whole game and bring some pressure – especially in a game where we're not quite as worried about the downfield throws. Um, you know, you know, hopefully we can, we can hold up on the back end a little bit better than we did late against uh, NC state. But I mean, we're looking at kind of a smash mouth spread. It's going to be heavy, heavy, heavy zone read RPO elements. Um, they're not taking a ton of shots downfield. This is very much a run focused run first offense. Um, and without sims they're they're damn near a, a triple option team um a lot of times <laughs> oh, God. We, we we know about georgia tech and the triple option but mm-hmm. i mean you know they really kind of become that that type of almost run exclusive unless they're they're playing from behind type team um they were down multiple scores against fsu and they were still you know run run and then pass when they had to so they definitely <laughs> want to. They definitely want to run the football if they're going to have success in the offense. Well, I mean, chosen.
1: Um, I mean, chosen the stats. I mean, they're they're under six, yeah, yeah. per game. I mean, per per attempt,
0: yeah. under and six
1: in attempt. That's just ugly.
0: Yeah, and I think if we do a good job attacking that mesh point, um, that that'll kind of keep things in a more predictable outcome. Make make sure that we kind of let Jeff Sims give it as much as he can um that would be ideal um or put him in a no-win situation where where if if he gives it or keeps it he's kind of eat up that that that's kind of what we need to do um keep him living in hell a little bit um but getting a lead on them early could really help them help us uh, kind of get them out of their game plan there because they definitely want to run the ball they definitely want to kill clock it's still that type of offense, even though we're not seeing that that triple option, that flex bone, um, that that we saw from you know, Georgia Tech for years.
1: Uh, but it's but it's but it's funny you say it could get them out of their game plan, but on the other hand, they just might stay in their game plan. And if we get up twenty-one nothing, like we're just gonna keep running the ball. Thank you. All right, you're just gonna keep running the ball and not having any success. And I mean.
0: Well, they do well enough but they're not they're not moving it consistently enough to Yeah. It's like they'll they'll have an 8 8 or 10 yard gain and they'll back it up with a 2 or 3 or a 1 or 2 and sometimes a negative play and the next thing you know they're punting. So as well um, as- that that's kind of how we've got to got to do it. We can't let you know one or two first downs kind of create that tidal wave where they you know, end up rolling into the end zone. We got to make sure that we're getting off the field absolutely all right so next guy Brian we're going to flip
1: over to defense first guy I want to talk about guy who started his playing career as class of 2017 at Old Dominion he transferred into Georgia Tech he was a two-star when he came out of high school um, down in Garner North Carolina at Garner High School that's Keon White and you know so far this season four sacks leading the team in sacks you know, 35 tackles, pass deflection as well. And he, he's that prototypical, the build you love on him, 6'5", 286. How does he show on tape?
0: Uh, really good, actually. Um, he's kind of a guy that they use in a lot of different ways. He's got really good size, size, um, which helps him kind of slide into a three technique when they go with a different line set, but he's also kind of that big end that can also rush the passer. Well, Um, the only thing he doesn't do great. He's not, he's not very good at at shedding blocks and and for his size, he can get moved out of the gaps, but when he can shoot a gap and penetrate um, that's kind of where he makes his hay. And uh, he does a good job there. And like I said, for his size, very above average pass rusher, whether he's lined up, outside the tackle or inside the tackle. All righty.
1: Let's flip now. Let's look at the two linebackers. Let's start with Charlie Thomas, first of all. Thomas had a Thomasville high school in Georgia, class of 18. A high three-star in the state of Georgia, a top 50 player down there when he came out. And so far this year, I mean, 70 total tackles, which is second on the Yellow Jackets behind one guy we'll talk about in a few minutes. He has a sack. He's forced to fumble a couple of interceptions, 6'2", 207.
0: Where is he lining up on it with Charlie? Yeah, so he's – uh the position's called money. It's actually similar to um, the, the backer that we were used to in the Bud Foster system. So um, he's better against the run than the pass. Um, he will blitz. Um, but not quite as often as the guy that we're going to talk about next navigates the trash well um to get to an attack his gap responsibility um he's inconsistent in coverage uh but he's pretty solid when he can kind of read, react and drive on on, on a route versus having to sit back and um kind of pass guys through zones uh, or work in man um he, he will miss a tackle occasionally especially when he's in in pursuit um but he's really good when he's kind of playing downhill and is able to kind of square guys up. Now when you talk about
1: the inconsistency in coverage, is it is it just the eyes? Are the eyes yeah. is it just looks like the head's going everywhere versus you know, focus on one thing? We see when when I hear you say inconsistent, the first thing I think of is he's not looking at the quarterback. He's looking at the players moving around him where when you're in zone, it's like Look where the quarterback is. If a guy crosses you, that's fine, but you still should be there because if you're looking at him and he comes back across the field, well, you're going to be a half a second late. You're you're yeah. not even going to be in the play.
0: Yeah, it looks like he's 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 thinking too much a, a lot of times uh, when he's in that that kind of true zone when he's able to kind of mm-hmm. see everything in front of him and just react to it a lot better. Um, nice. So that, that, nice. that's kind of what it is. All right, now
1: let's flip to the next guy because I said there were. he has 70 tackles. You know, that's average in 10 a game. Ayind Alai, number two linebacker, 6'3", 233 pounds out of Olney, Maryland. 82 tackles, three and a half sacks, three force fumbles. Just last week against FSU, he had 11 tackles. So it's been consistent all year. When he came back out in 2017, he was recruited to Maryland. He did not come originally to Georgia Tech, so he was a transfer from Maryland. And he was a three-star. Had a good, you know, you take a look at his list. We did show some interest in him being up at Good Council. It's a pretty good high school for Maryland, but a lot of good looks for him back then. Um, what's the tape showing, you know, the statistics say it, is he their best player on defense
0: or? Yeah. Best overall player on defense. Um, He plays the Mac position, which is the, the Mike uh, in the defense. Um, He's got good length plays fast, especially when he's blitzing. Uh, He does a good job of reading the play and attacking his gap. Good tackler, especially uh, at the point of attack uh, when he's kind of between the tackles there. Um, not bad in coverage, but he does struggle, struggle when covering kind of athletic players like a, a joker tight end or a wide receiver. Um, and he does t- does sometimes struggle to shed blocks. So that's kind of if we can get him tied up in the in the middle there, uh, we can kind of neutralize him a little bit. So
1: I hear you say that, that fourth statement there about covering athletic tight ends. Do you think this is a game where Gallo should be at H, put right on that kind of that wing back and force him to cover?
0: Yeah, I, I would I would put him in as much uh, force position as we can where he's got to do stuff in space and cover in space. Yeah, you, um, make, make, think... him run, make him run as much as possible.
1: All righty, all righty. Let's flip it. One last player on the defensive side of the ball, and that is Lamiles Brooks, the defensive back. Lamiles from Trinity Christian Academy. Uh, oh, that name, oh Isaiah Ford. Some other good players from down there. He is the class of 2020. Yes, he did get a Virginia Tech offer. No, he did not commit. And he was a pretty highly rated player. Four-star composite, top 260 player nationally, a top 20 quarter, top 50 in Florida. Um, We actually were a favorite to land him back in 2020. And obviously, we missed there. No, we weren't.
0: No, we weren't. That that miss. deadly 2020 class, man, uh, still coming uh. back to haunt us.
1: Still, still. So far this season, I love the stat line from him to be a defensive back: 33 tackles, two interceptions, and five pass deflected. So he has been around the ball a lot this year, and also had a fumble recovery. So clearly, a nose for the ball. Um, what's uh, what's Miles showing in the secondary?
0: Yeah, so he plays safety for this team. Um, He's probably the best playmaker in their secondary. Uh, Really great in pursuit, making open field tackles. Finishes plays well when he has spill area responsibilities. Um, He's good, but occasionally sloppy with those run fits. Um, So so that's something that we can potentially exploit. Uh, He's also good in coverage, um, but he can be exposed in one-on-one. He's much better uh, when he's in zone. All right, let's flip it over now, Brian. Let's talk
1: about this scheme. Um, obviously, you mentioned something we were familiar with, so I'm going to
0: assume four two five, four two five. But they do they are multiple, so you'll see them kind of mix and match fronts. Um, they use that kind of standing DN um, as kind of a hybrid player that they'll slide into a backer position and then slide their Sam kind of into a more true nickel. Um, so they kind of morph a little bit into a little bit of a 3-3, three, a three, little bit of a 3-4, kind of depending on what they need, but they're a base 4 2 five. Um, And they try to switch up those fronts to create confusion, to create matchups that work for them. Um, they bring pressure fairly regularly, um, usually kind of zone blitz in the, the early parts of a drive. They'll go more man blitz as they kind of get pushed further into their own territory. Um, they, they force a decent amount of turnovers, usually off pressure. Um and and they're very much kind of a bend-don't-break philosophy. Um, you can score on them, um, but they're going to try to hold you to three.
1: All right. Well, you mentioned the forced turnovers off pressure. Let's go to the Hokie Keys, and the first thing we can talk about is their turnover margin. They are a top-five team in the country in turnover margin with plus 12. Not a lot of plus-12 teams are three and five, so – I got nerdy and just started looking at the game films. And in their three wins, they're plus seven. So clearly, in those wins, you know, they turned the ball over. And that was against Western Carolina. Um, Oh, man. Duke. I had Duke 23 10 and Pitt. So they forced a lot of turnovers in those three games. So in the five losses, though, they still created five turnovers. That's a turnover game. So I dug a little deeper. They forced two against UVA and they lost by a touchdown. They had one in a blowout loss to Ole Miss. And they had two against FSU who also blew the doors off of them. And the other two losses, it was an even battle. So in three of their losses, they were plus five. And they got outscored by like almost 100. They have to force turnovers to win games. That's clear. Yeah, they got to force turnovers to be competitive. To be competitive. And even when they force a bunch, UBA, they forced two turnovers against that bad offense, came up with seven points against not really a good defense. Even when they force, they can lose. So I sit here, Brian, and I ask you, I think we just have to be aggressive because what they've shown is even when they force turnovers, they don't do a hell of a lot with it.
0: Yeah, we definitely can't revert into a shell every t- if we make a mistake. We got to keep being aggressive, pushing the ball downfield, keep them on edge because I mean, they showed against FSU, they had essentially a 6-point turnaround on one play where they forced a fumble with FSU inside the their their 5-yard line and they ran it back to like the 22-yard line and only got 3 out of it and they had another turnover later in you know, later in that same quarter. Uh, f s u had two turnovers early and was was winning the whole game i mean it, th- this isn't this isn't something where you know they do a whole lot with those turnovers so if 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 it happens, don't panic, stay aggressive on offense stay aggressive on defense don't let that sudden change become six points that's it,
1: but it's also difficult them to score points and that's where I go to the next key is it's gonna be our defense general. This defense – this offense is 118th in the country. They are not a good offense. They're 125th in score. They're below us in scoring, which says a lot. Not good, Bob. I mean, even in their three wins, the offense has not been good at all. And their biggest scoring output was 26 versus Pitt. So, you talk about a defense get-right game. We looked good for three quarters last week. Let's bring it four quarters like this team like we did against B.C., and keep them under two touchdowns.
0: Yep. Yeah, so, and, and, and the big thing is slowing that run down. If we can slow that run down, then they're not going to be a team that can do anything offensively.
1: So we'll see. Speaking of run games, I think the Hokies run game is going to be a good key. Said it in the presser today, Malachi's doubtful, which gives me a sliver of hope, but also gives me a sliver of hope, too, that he won't play um, until he's ready. And good news about Keyshawn King, probable, so we're likely going to see him probably with a combination of Holston and Duke. Uh, But Georgia Tech, I mean, I I look back at the UNC game and talked about them being a bad offense as far as rushing the ball. Georgia Tech, 101 this year, giving up over 177 yards a game. So I think between the combination of Wells, King, Holston, and Duke, I want to see at least 130 to 140 yards on 30 to 35 carries. That will make me feel better, but maybe three and a half is where I should be happy per attempt.
0: We got to do better than we did last week. And I know this, 1. Is, a big this is a big step down in, in terms of front and in terms of linebacker play overall. Um, and, and that's not knocking the two guys. I mean, I think they're probably two of the better players on this defense, but we, we were looking at three NFL-caliber linebackers last week. We were. And some solid players in that front. Yep. So we're not getting that this week. No. The, this is a big step down. We should see better this week in the running game. So if we if we can get, like you said, I think 135 would be a good number, 140. Um, If, if we get above 150, great. But if we can get around that 135 140 range, you know, you know, at at or just above three and a half a carry, I think that'll be effective enough, especially for being aggressive and pushing the ball downfield in the passing game.
1: Absolutely. Let's go back and talk about what we talked about earlier. The biggest key to this game, and hopefully growing some confidence with this team, is we've got to string the multiple quarters of productive football across. All elements. Yep. It's what we're missing. It. I mean, we can attest to it and probably say, if you string a couple extra quarters in Pitt, in Miami, and one more quarter in NC State, it's three wins versus three losses. The team's five and two.
0: Yep, and and, and and that's it. Let's look at let's look at NC State. We had two bad quarters of special teams play. We yep. had two and a half bad quarters of offense, and we had one bad quarter of defense. Yep, and all came at
1: separate points during the game. Yep, offense early when the defense was humming, defense and offense League. together in the third quarter. You know, you outscore team twenty-one-seven. That's big. That's what you want every quarter. And then the special teams, you know, I think it was first and fourth weren't as good. But it's just stringing the stringing the quarters together because that builds momentum. That builds confidence. You see guys play better. And I think a team like this that don't do not have the firepower to hit you back quick. It's kind of what the Hokies need. And, Brian, let's flip it over and let's talk about predictions on this game. And, unfortunately, for me and you for a while now, we've been going against the Hokies. And, you know, what's your feels this week?
0: Well, I'm not going against the Hokies this weekend. I've got an actual repeat of last year's final score. All right. All right. I think that we're going to be effective driving the football. I think we probably don't close as many drives as we'd like to, but we're effective enough moving the football against this defense. Uh, I think we give up a couple scores to them, uh, but then we kind of settle in um, and we finish this off. I've got 26-17 Hokies. All right and I'm
1: not far behind you because I do hope that we can continue our streak of picking these games correctly. I'm going a little less than you on both sides. I think it's 24-10 Hokies. I think what we saw last week with that defense, NC State has some playmakers. We talked about that. They were missing the quarterback, and I think what they found last week was likely the guy that's going to succeed, Larry, when he steps away. And I – I really think defensively I can't see – watching Georgia Tech a few times this year, they just look pitiful offensively. And with no real threat of a passing game, I think Brent Pry probably can feel comfortable playing some guys he may not be as comfortable with. And I think we pull the W. And I think it's going to be – it's going to feel nice on Saturday afternoon as we sit down and crack a game for our big screener. We're not picking separate games this week. There is only one game in the AP. There are one, two in the CFP. They're one, three, and that's Georgia versus Tennessee. And that's obviously him and hooker. Georgia is a eight point favorite down in Athens between the hedges. The over under is 66. And this has been one I've been just thinking about sitting at the baseball game, even thinking about it. Uh, umpire was a, has a son that, uh, Tech fan, or not a Tech fan, excuse me, a tech student, a senior up there. And I think what I'm going to have to say is I think I'm going to take Tennessee to win the game outright, and I am going to go over the 66. Okay. And I think what I'm kind of feeling in this situation is something like a 38-33 game where it's going to be a war. But let me get your let me get your predictions first and then let's I want to kind of hit what we talked about earlier about this game.
0: Okay. Okay. I am going to go 34 31. I'm taking Tennessee to win outright and then the under just barely hits. Barely.
1: You're going to be sweating that if it really is 31 <laughs> 34 late.
0: But let's talk
1: about what we talked about Brian um, when we were discussing this game. Cause we, we talked about this game for 15 minutes today and I said to you, if Tennessee gets up two scores early, do you have the confidence that Georgia can fire power
0: back? I think they can. Um, but it's, it's not, it's not a sure thing, right? Because we've seen up and down ability in that area.
1: Kent state.
0: Yeah. So, you know, it's really hard to say, you know, are, are, do they have that in them? You know, when we look at the, we were talking about taking out the outliers earlier um, and and Kent state's kind of the, kind of one of the outliers there for, for Georgia. And we said, you know,
1: Mizzou is the big outlier.
0: Yeah, Mizzou is the other outlier there. Because
1: if I got Georgia fans listening to this, y'all were saved by the refs that night. If there were some penalties that happened that if the flag had been thrown, a couple extra scores wouldn't have happened, and Georgia would be a one-loss team right now. That's my opinion.
0: Yeah, when you when, right, when you're right when
1: your right tackle clearly false starts on third and goal, and you get a touchdown from it, <laughs> that helps out with a four-point game. Big time. But but, but we mentioned it the other way because I think if Georgia gets up early, I think Tennessee's got – they are running so vertical. They are so attacking downfield with Heifel's offense. If they get down early, I think they're just going to keep slinging it and keep slinging it. And I think to a point where we've seen sometimes with Kirby Smart, he'll get into those mans. He wants to play man. He wants to be aggressive up front. He hadn't quite. Bo Nix ain't quite Hendon Hooker, and I think the wide receiver core at Tennessee is a little bit better. But you know, I think it's going to be a hell of a game. I think it's going to be a fun one to watch. Thank God the Hokey game will be over so we can enjoy it. Yep. Versus keeping keeping looking on our other one here.
0: All right. Yeah, um, and I think I think when you see that, I think there if if Georgia wants to pull it out, I feel like Georgia's going to have to get to Hendon consistently. That's going and to be the only know. way that they're going to pull it out.
1: And if they're doing that and they miss him, there's going to be a lot of space for him to run, and we know yep. that he can run.
0: All right, big
1: man. Has anything broken almost 11-20 on Tuesday night?
0: 90 minutes on the, on the dot here.
1: <laughs> 90 minutes on the dot. We did it. Baseball game is – let's see that score real quick before we wrap here. Baseball game's over, and Astros got shut out 7-0. Ouch.
0: Ouch. Couldn't couldn't happen to a better team.
1: Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Man, don't let Doug hear that. Don't let
0: Doug hear that. When you got got a Braves fan kind of like pulling for the Phillies, you know it's some some foul shit going (laughs) down.
1: All right. Well, that is going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast brought to you by the Main Street Pharmacy in blacksburg i am curtis wilson
0: i'm brian Siegler.
1: visit our website boundarycornervt.com to listen to all of our episodes while you are there do not forget to follow us on twitter facebook instagram subscribe on our youtube account and also any of your podcast sources amazon spotify apple Also, as always, check out our buddy Jason Long, where on November 5th, he will be at the first annual Ginkgo Tree Festival um, down in Roanoke, so check him out there if you get a chance. Also, check out his music on Apple, Spotify, YouTube account, Facebook pages. Check out his summer EP album. Yes, I'm Tired. I'm going to be going to sleep very shortly here. It was a long night last night with Halloween. I got nine pounds of candy in there that the kids are diving into. I should have probably ate at least one bar.
0: Yeah, you needed the sugar rush after the game. I did. I had a Dr. <laughs> Pepper.
1: I, I, couldn't eat, I couldn't eat chocolate, man. But a little DP? A little DP?
0: A little, DP a
1: little, a little DP cherry. A little DP cherry. Really good. Also really good with a little whiskey. So we thank you all for always listening. Shout out to the White Robbie listening tonight. I know some of y'all are out there as well. We appreciate it as always, Brian. Let's go, Okey.